0: Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. The Three Californias. For nearly 40 years, three California Grand Lodges have shared cross-cultural fellowship by Jay Kinney. California boasts a distinct natural beauty from its rolling golden hills to the cresting Pacific Ocean and its diverse landscapes of forests, meadows, deserts, mountains, and beyond. This charm transcends the United States border, extending south down the Baja California Peninsula into the Mexican states of Baja California and Baja California Sur. As California stretches south, so does Freemasonry. Every year since 1979, the Grand Lodge of California, the Grand Lodge of Baja California, and the Grand Lodge of Baja California Sur have held a two-day gathering. Known as the Conference of Three Californias, it is an annual opportunity to strengthen fraternal ties and assess the future of masonry in California's three states. History in the Making The statehood of the Baja California Peninsula has fluctuated since the 19th century. At times, it was a single territory of Mexico, at other times a dual territory. In 1952, the northern half became the state of Baja California. Baja California Sur, or South, was granted Mexican statehood in 1974. While the Grand Lodge of Baja California, located in the border city of Tijuana, served the northern region, a new Grand Lodge of Baja California Sur arose in the wake of statehood, chartered by the Grand Lodge Pacifico. California past Grand Master Donald G. Ingalls was instrumental in both granting official recognition to the Grand Lodge of Baja California Sur and in establishing what was then called the First Masonic Congress of Three Californias. According to Brother Arturo Sevilla, Assistant Grand Secretary and Secretary of International Relations for the Grand Lodge of Baja California, The motivation for the annual gathering was the mutual realization that while adjacent to each other, the Masons of Baja California and those in the American state of California typically knew little of each other's rituals, customs, and Masonic culture. Unique Traditions One striking difference between the American and Mexican lodges is their ritual. The Grand Lodge of Baja California originally received its charter from the Grand Lodge of Valle de Mexico, which received its charter from the Grand Orient of New Granada now present-day Columbia. That grand lodge worked the craft degrees of the ancient and accepted Scottish Rite, which diverged considerably from the Preston Webb ritual commonly used in the United States. Lodges in Baja California continue this practice today. Also unique to Baja California lodges are Masonic wedding celebrations, Masonic rituals that honor major wedding anniversaries and other occasions. Another significant difference between Masonry in the United States, California, and Baja, California, is the number of Masons involved. According to recent counts, there are roughly 48,000 Masons in California, which seems strikingly large when compared with approximately 800 Masons in Baja, California, and 300 or so brothers in Baja, California Sur. The average size of a lodge below the border is just 25, but brethren are active and lodges often share weekly meetings and activities. Learning how smaller lodges can thrive is relevant for all jurisdictions, and both Baja California jurisdictions serve as examples. Bridging Borders Sevilla notes that the Conference of Three Californias is more like an annual reunion than a formal conference. There are no bylaws, commissions, or official programs. Rather, the event consists of public and private meetings. Public meetings are typically oriented toward Masons, but open to anyone and private meetings are informal gatherings during which Grand Lodge representatives hold frank discussions about mutual topics of interest. Meetings cycle between the three jurisdictions, but most often take place in San Diego, Tijuana, and Los Cabos County. Highlights typically include a local lodge exemplification of one of the three degrees, as practiced in the host jurisdiction. During a recent gathering in Tijuana, participants joined together to place a memorial wreath for Benito Juarez, former president of Mexico, and an honorary 33rd degree mason in the Supreme Council of Mexico. The spirit of international brotherhood shared by the Grand Lodges of California, Baja California and Baja California Sur is poised to expand in the coming year. Two other regular jurisdictions that meet within California, the most worshipful Prince Hall Lodge of California and the Grand Lodge of Iran in Exile have been invited by the Grand Lodge of Baja California to participate in the 2018 Conference of Three Californias. Sevilla describes this as an effort to foster recognition between all of the regular Grand Lodges in the three jurisdictions. While this conference might be dismissed as just Grand Lodge business by some brothers, it is a valuable opportunity to build cross-jurisdictional fellowship. Masons from all over Baja California travel to the conferences to enjoy the fellowship of meeting brethren from all three jurisdictions. As California Grand Master Bruce R. Galloway says, while we do not necessarily share a common language, we do share a very common love for our fraternity. We have built close relationships and have been able to share best practices. These practices are ways in which Masons have found success in their individual lodges and in the fraternity at large. Sevilla sees the annual conference as an opportunity for Masonic leaders and members to gain a better understanding of how Masonry works in other jurisdictions. California has listened and learned from our achievements and mistakes and vice versa, he says. From its humble beginnings in 1979, the Conference of Three Californias has become a landmark event on the annual Masonic calendar. As Grand Master Galloway notes, it is an event we look forward to each year to renew friendships, meet new friends, and continue a long-standing tradition. Sevilla likens the differences between the three Masonic jurisdictions to flavors of Masonry. The underlying ideals and values are the same, but how they are expressed, both ritually and socially, may vary. Learning about those differences and embracing them is one way in which Masons near and far can actualize the ideals of universal brotherhood. The Conference of Three Californias is an initiative close at hand, which furthers that effort within our home state and those that share its name. The Illumination of a Well-Traveled Practice by Laura Bennis On a nondescript block in Beirut, inside an apartment building much like any other, the room around Paul Bazarcanian plunged into darkness. He was gathered with a score of brothers in a makeshift lodge room, which had been shoehorned into the apartment. The outside bore no square and compass, all the windows were shut and the shades were drawn. A Tyler posted in an entry area, kept nervous guard. In Lebanon, the political relationship with masonry is as strained and unpredictable as the electrical grid. Bazarkanian lives in Glendale, California, where he is an inspector for the Grand Lodge of California and a past master of San Marino Lodge No. 408, but he was born in Beirut. He visits at least once a year and attends lodge. He'd become accustomed to the humble space and strict secrecy of lodge meetings. He was accustomed, too, to the multi-course feast that followed. Tabula, Baba Ganoush, San Busek, to start, then Kofta, Shishtauk, and Shawarma, baklava, and umali for dessert. But this was the first time he'd experienced a blackout during a meeting. The air conditioning had gone out with the electricity, and in his suit and tie, Bazarkanian began to sweat. In the cramped room, the air became stifling. It was like we were in a sauna, he says. Around him, his brothers reached for their cigarette lighters. They'd run this drill before. With practiced deficiencies, candles blazed to life besides the master station, then the wardens. The altar was illuminated in flickering candlelight. Another candle was lit by the secretary's station, enough to read, write, and work by. As the meeting went on and the temperature continued to rise, Bazarcanian began to feel the significance of the moment. Nobody cared about the lights. Nobody cared about the A.C. Nobody stopped. He says, As he watched the brothers work together in this oppressively hot room, hidden away from the rest of the country, he thought about how different this was from his experiences in California. He was struck, he says, by the dedication and love of masonry. In the end, his memory wasn't so much about the lights that went out, but the lights that stayed on. Into the Unknown To appreciate the full force of Masonry, the best advice might be this. Get out of town. Way out. Freemasonry was designed as a global experience, a traveling guild, uniting members from disparate cultures. Fast forward to today, and that spirit lives on. Every new Mason receives, essentially, an invitation to visit the rest of the world. Anywhere he goes, he has family. Those who have practiced masonry in foreign places usually find it contagious, inevitably urging their brothers to try it for themselves. Go, they'll say, to experience the scope of the fraternity. Go to prove the bonds of brotherhood. Go in search of empathy for other people. Go in search of yourself. The ability to engage with people from different backgrounds than yourself and the ability to get out of your own social comfort zone is helping you to build a strong and acculturated sense of your own self," explained one researcher interviewed by The Atlantic on the link between foreign experiences and personal development. Our ability to differentiate our own beliefs and values is tied up in the richness of the cultural experiences that we have had. In other words, by gaining a better understanding of others, we can draw the lines of self more clearly. We also become more tolerant. Mark Twain, who sailed around the coast of the Mediterranean in 1869, wrote that travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. Maybe this is why Freemasonry, with its melting pot of cultures, arrived at equality and brotherly love as its most important tenets. Practicing them on home turf is one thing. Practicing them on someone else's can be even more powerful. Distanced from our usual assumptions and cultural biases, we are more open, attentive, and curious. We are primed for enlightenment out of darkness thomas jackson past grand secretary of the grand lodge of pennsylvania likely logs more air miles than any other brother for the purpose of masonry last year alone he traveled to 18 countries and that was fewer than in previous years jackson is honorary president and past executive secretary of the world conference of regular masonic grand lodges which unites Masonic leaders from hundreds of jurisdictions worldwide on a different continent every 18 months. In November 2015, the Grand Lodge of California hosted the conference at the California Masonic Memorial Temple in San Francisco. As part of his Masonic visits, he has been received by presidents of eight countries, among them Chad, Portugal, Romania, and Chile, and a couple of prime ministers in Greece. He was personally escorted between events by the country's most prominent surgeon— In Mali, he's been attended to by the President's personal Marine Guard. In the Ivory Coast, he was invited to the home of the Ambassador of the United Nations. He has ridden in a limousine through the streets of Gabon, besides the presidents of four African countries. Traveling outside of the U.S., we begin to comprehend that Freemasons are still the movers and shakers of the world, he says. But one of Jackson's most poignant cross-cultural experiences wasn't a matter of prestige. It took place in 2000 barely more than a decade after the fall of communism in Eastern Europe. Jackson had traveled to Bulgaria's capital city, Sofia, to visit the Grand Lodge of Bulgaria. He was in a piano bar one evening with the grandmasters of Bulgaria and Romania and several other international masons. Bulgaria's grandmaster was a great singer. He sounded like Louis Armstrong but with a soft voice, Jackson says. Anywhere we'd go, he'd find a piano. When they walked into the piano bar that evening, the patrons started chanting his name. At some point in the night, amid the music and merriment, Jackson noticed that the Grand Master of Romania had tears in his eyes. I asked him what was wrong. Jackson says his response was, I cannot believe that I am sitting here in a piano bar in Bulgaria with you. Freemasonry had only just returned to Romania after half a century in exile. Such a public display of fraternity had been inconceivable even a few years ago. It was a revealing moment, Jackson says. The appreciation of being a Freemason is not lost on those who were denied that privilege for so many decades. A Voyage of Discovery Perhaps you've had the experience of pulling into your driveway, arriving home from work or some other well-traversed route, and not being able to recall a single stoplight along the way. The experience is so familiar to you, you can drift through it without noticing much at all. By comparison, navigating a foreign place often feels like your senses have been dialed up to their maximum. You read road signs as if your life depended upon them. You scrutinize social cues from the people around you. You register more of what you're seeing, hearing, smelling, and feeling. Because of this, there's a good chance that when you return home, you will register more too. It's almost as if you've reawoken your awareness. As Marcel Proust wrote, the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeing new landscapes, but in having new eyes. Jackson has long implored fraternal leaders, particularly those in North America, who he says tend to travel less than Masons from other countries, to break out of their cultural bubbles. One of his reasons is simply to appreciate what other brothers, like his friend from Romania, have gone through to keep the fraternity alive. Another is to look at Masonry with, as Proust puts it, new eyes jackson encourages leaders to study what sets the craft apart in other countries and learn from it like wine absorbing nuances from the soil conditions of its grapes masonry takes on different styles from its surroundings and their history culture and socio-political climate jackson has identified five of these styles the philosophical style of western europe the social style of the british isles the sociological style of south and central america the political style of Mexico and the charitable style of the U.S. He believes that fraternal leaders can find lessons within each of these styles. It's also important, he says, to notice how Freemasonry has remained relevant in different countries, often despite great challenges. One of his favorite examples is Latin America. It's a region where the fraternity has a long history of oppression and opposition, yet today the craft is thriving. Its charitable record is impressive. Freemasons there sponsor schools and even provide students with lunch and dinner. They operate hospitals and institutes of higher education. They are a respected and influential voice in the country's affairs. It shows the strength of Latin American Freemasonry. I think it's the result of the continuing struggle there, Jackson says. They're more than idealistic about Freemasonry than anywhere in the world. As a result, they set higher goals. By experiencing masonry far from home, brothers get a broader perspective of what masonry can mean to its communities. In Latin America, that may take the form of a Grand Lodge-sponsored hospital. In California, it includes our partnership with raising a reader to improve child literacy. On one of Bazarcanian's recent visits to Beirut, a brother shared with the Lodge that he knew a family of Syrian refugees who were living on the streets. The father had been killed. The mother was caring for their three children. They were waiting for the government to sort out the details of their aid, but in the meantime, they were without shelter or money. The brother didn't know the last time they had eaten. An hour and four phone calls later, the lodge had found a Mason who offered to put the family up for free. On the table in the middle of the room, $200 had been collected to buy food and clothing. I'm sure the family never knew it was the Masons who helped them, Bazarcanian says. It was all done secretly. This experience illustrated the truth of his Masonic vows. Masonic charity is evident anywhere you go, he says. Masons are always ready to help out. They're always ready to lend a hand. My brother in any language. In the conversation about practicing Freemasonry abroad, this underscores the most important point of all. For all the differences in style and custom that a brother may encounter, he will find in common truth, relief, and brotherly love. The Masonic tenets are first learned in the home lodge, but they are proven abroad. In October, Bruce R. Galloway, Grand Master of Masons in California, sat in London's historic Royal Albert Hall among 4,000 other Masons, including the Duke of Kent, Grand Master of the United Grand Lodge of England. It was the finale banquet of celebrations commemorating the 300th anniversary of Freemasonry. The anniversary events, which culminated over several days in England, represented history's largest gathering of Grand Masters, 136 in total from around the world. Besides the attendees in Royal Albert Hall, thousands more brothers watched the proceedings on screen from spillover satellite spaces. At the dinner after, Galloway sat with the Grand Master of Monaco, the Grand Master of Belgium, the Chancellor of the United Grand Lodge of England, and the Deputy Grand Master of Scotland. Throughout the festivities, he met and spoke with Freemasons from China, Japan, Russia, the Philippines, and all over Europe. The conclusion I came to, Galloway says, is that quite frankly, Masonry is the same throughout the world. When we get together, we have an instant bond. Our languages might be different, but we're really saying the same things. That's what struck me the most." Bazarkanian agrees. In addition to Beirut, he has attended Lodge meetings in Cyprus and Greece, and has visited Lodges in numerous other countries, including Canada and Germany. He says that Barna, the common thread between his experiences, is a palpable sense of unity and of caring for one another. The fact that this can occur across cultures, sometimes even without a common language, is the truest form of Freemasonry. The man seated next to you is referring to you as my brother. You are referring to him as brother, Bazarcanian says. The culture is obviously different, but the similarity is that we are all Masons, and that bond is so strong. Every Mason who I've sat with, ate and drank with, smoked cigars with, has been so happy to meet another brother from another country. Anything you need, they go out of their way to take care of. You actually feel the genuine, sincere, brotherly love that we talk to candidates about in Lodge. I bet you anything, he adds, any Mason who travels to a foreign country to visit another Lodge will want to do it again and again. They will look for a reason to travel. Returning Home Everywhere Bazarcanian was part of the California contingent that traveled to the United Kingdom for Masonry's 300th anniversary. When they pulled up to the United Grand Lodge of England, the Widow's Sons, and Masonic Bikers Association, greeted them. It was an impressive display, and not just for the rows of gleaming motorcycles and bone vibrating motors. The way they greeted us was like we had known them for many, many years, like we'd just been gone a while, Bazerkanian says. They greeted us asking, Where have you been? As the British and California Masons mingled, comparing notes on bikes and exchanging handshakes and invitations to each other's home lodges, he felt a familiar twinge. He could tell already that he would never forget this moment. He thought about his lodged degree candidates back in California. Here, where their Masonic tenets at work. We lecture our candidates that it doesn't matter what color you are, what sect you are, what kind of political inclinations or religious beliefs you have, that it doesn't matter your position in life or if you're rich or poor. We're all the same. We are one family. You really feel that when you go out of the country, he says. I think the only way to really experience that is to travel. And this last article we're going to share from the May-June 2018 California Freemason uh, still kind of ties in with the theme of travel, but it does it looking at the Masonic uh, attire. So with that, Traditions in the Trimming, Exploring the Rich Cultural Traditions of Global Masonic Attire by Anton R.E. Perucci. During a regular tiled meeting in a California lodge, one can expect to find an array of officers, sometimes in tuxedos, always girded in their lambskin aprons, with jewels specific to their office about their necks. At their head on a raised day presides the worshipful master, likewise outfitted, with the exception of a black silk top hat on his head. For the most part, a visitor could go from one lodge to the next in this state, and at the end of their journey, he would be forgiven for thinking that Masons the world over wear the same attire. After all, we as a fraternity pride ourselves in our tradition, and by its very definition tradition does not change, right? The answer, like most things about Freemasonry, is a bit more complicated. As it turns out, the notion of uniformity falls apart before we even leave our own state. Brothers in some California lodges have replaced the tuxedo altogether, preferring instead a more casual culture. Hornitos Lodge No. 98 near Mariposa in Northern California has been bucking tradition for half a century. In place of a formal bow tie and stiff white shirt with French cuffs, members of this small lodge sport a loose western style white shirt, dark trousers, and western style bolo ties around their neck. According to past master Gail Wills, this unique attire was inspired by a lodge master in the 50s who had a penchant for square dancing. Leave California, and this trend continues. In Massachusetts, for instance, the Grand Master is distinguished not by a top hat, but rather with an unusual tricorn hat. It is widely suggested that Paul Revere first wore the tricorn as Grand Master, explains Walter H. Hunt, librarian at the Samuel Crocker Lawrence Library in Boston. Aside from a few gaps in the centuries, the Grand Master of Massachusetts has been wearing this symbol of American patriotism since 1794. Outside of the United States, there seems to be as many different types of Masonic dress as there are countries with lodges. In the island nation of Malta, for instance, Grand Lodge officers proudly display the Maltese cross on their aprons, their chains of office, and anywhere else they can find. This eight-pointed cross was the symbol of the Knights of St. John, a military order of Crusaders who arrived in Malta in the 16th century. In California, entered apprentices are distinguished from fellow crafts by the way they wear their white lambskin aprons, but in each case the apron remains the same. This is not so in Malta. In Maltese masonry, as the initiates gain more light in masonry, his apron gains more trimming, beginning with the plain white lambskin candidate's apron progressively becoming more ornate. Even in the United Kingdom, the very epicenter of masonry and home to the oldest lodges in the world, unique designs push their way to the surface. In fact, the only rule for Scottish Masonic regalia is that there aren't any rules. All Scottish lodges can choose which color or colors to use for their regalia, explains Robert Cooper, curator of the Grand Lodge of Scotland Museum and Library. A lodge in one part of the country may use red for its aprons, and another regalia, whereas a lodge on the other side of the country may choose blue and orange frequently you will also see scottish lodges proudly wearing that most scottish of designs the tartan and the reason behind those colors or designs well that too varies the reasons might be obscure admits cooper more often than not though there was a conscious decision taken by the founding members when choosing a particular color or combination of colors for example the Celtic Lodge, Edinburgh and Lath No. 291, founded in 1821, chose Royal Stuart Tartan. Their reason, explicitly stated, was to promote the wearing of tartan within the Scottish craft. Cooper explains that this was a romantic reaction to the repeal of the Act of Proscription of 1746. Among other things, that act had banned wearing tartan and playing bagpipes. Like the history of wearing the tricorn hat in the Grand Lodge of Massachusetts, the origin of varied attire in the Scottish tradition goes all the way back to the beginning. When the Grand Lodge of Scotland was founded in 1736, there were already approximately 100 lodges in existence scattered across Scotland, says Cooper. Only 33 of those lodges attended the first inaugural meeting of the Grand Lodge. It seems most didn't like the idea of a central authority dictating to them what they could and could not do. In order to make the idea more palatable, the Grand Lodge granted each lodge, among other things, the right to choose their own regalia. It's been that way ever since. As the Grand Lodge of Scotland established sister lodges throughout the world, they exported the tr- this treasured sense of individuality. Today, visitors will find members of Lodge Tulabardine in the East, No. 1118 SC in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, sporting Murray tartan. This was the clan tartan of the Grand Master of Scotland at the time Lodge Tullibardine in the East was established in 1913. Historically, Freemasonry traveled from England and Scotland and went on to establish roots in virtually every continent in the world. Today, from Massachusetts to Malta, Scotland to Malaysia, Masons regularly gather together in brotherhood and mutual respect. In our fraternity's international ranks are men of all colors and creeds, each one bringing with him his own heritage and beliefs. Is it any wonder that the trappings of masonry are subject to cultural appropriation? After all, no organization, no matter how timeless its tenets or deep its traditions, comes through a journey of time and distance unchanged. Freemasonry is no exception. Contemplating the heritage underlying his own Masonic experience, Brother Hunt in Boston remarks, there's nothing quite like the procession of Grand Lodge officers in their regalia. Across the ocean in Scotland, Brother Cooper agrees. For him, seeing the parade of colors and designs in Scottish lodges reminds him of why Scottish Freemasonry remains unique in the world. And he is inspired to add, long may it remain so. An observer might believe that the power of Masonry lies in its stability, its unvarying continuity over the centuries and across continents. And yet in reality its strengths also lie elsewhere. Rather than dilute the member experience or otherwise undermine the stability of the fraternity, the malleability of masonry appears to be one of its strongest characteristics. We all look for a reflection of ourselves in the organizations with which we associate. If its different traditions of dress are any indication, masonry is an organization with a thousand faces. And in the words of Brother Cooper, long may it remain so.